0: is graphic design, had a really great job back in Southern California, but then um, just at the very beginning of the real estate downturn, a lot of people got laid off. Um, basically, my whole department that I had started from scratch, which is what they had hired me for in the first place, ended up getting shut down. One of the callings that I was feeling as a father and a husband was just that I really wanted to be a provider for the entire family, and I just didn't feel like I was meeting that call, just when things were probably going to get bad. Um, God just provided an amazing job out of nowhere. I met a person in a networking group that I was in that was able to get me an interview in a company that I always thought would have been great to work for. It just felt right and uh, ended up working terrific because um, it provided for us all the way up until today, you know, and it continues to provide for us when we definitely would have needed it the most. We just really felt like God was just orchestrating everything. I was able to see how he was working in it after the fact which is always really interesting. It's, it's like going back and reading your journal. You can see how everything fell together after. When you're in the middle of it, it feels like chaos and you just don't know what's going on, but you trust and you pray and you, you know, you just completely rely on him that he is taking care of it no matter what you do. I'm always feeling that guilt struggle about, you know, not being able to give 10%. It's definitely a trust issue, um, especially when you may not have everything that you need or feel that you have all the provisions that you need. I don't give To get back, so you know I'm not expecting anything in return. I know God, you know, will bless whatever we do, and it's it's not always going to be in a monetary fashion. I'm just looking to just be obedient more than anything, you know, and that's that's what my wife and I have always tried to do is just be as obedient as possible. The verse about uh, not storing your treasures up on earth, but in heaven instead, is absolutely my favorite verse. If we're trying to hold on to our money so tightly here, and our possessions, there's no U-Haul on a hearse. So there's just no point. We're only gonna have it while we're here and that's it. I mean, we can absolutely make the most of our lives here, but if we're not believing that God is gonna take care of everything and we can't trust in him to take care of us no matter what we give and no matter what we do, it's pointless. So the best thing we can do is trust in him 100% with what we have, because it's not even ours in the first place. He's given us everything that we do have, so technically all we're doing is borrowing it from him. He can take whatever he wants and he doesn't need any of it at the same time. I know so many people that struggle with, you know, well, why do I have to give? God doesn't need it. No, he doesn't need it, but it definitely shows the obedience that we need to show him as part of our faith.
1: Okay, so let's close in prayer. We'll have an invitation. You can tell he believes it, right? You can tell that's passionate on his heart. It's not something he's doing casually. He's thought this through uh, big time. We're in the discussion, and uh, you knew this before you came today, most likely. uh, We're talking about this topic of of money, and we're going to do it this week, next week. We'll be done. But here's here's what you're going to need to figure out somewhere in this conversation, and you'll decide this, somewhere you'll make this decision, and that is uh, either my leader's are having this conversation with me because at the end of the day, they're basically self-interested. Uh, they're just looking for more money for themselves and looking for more money for the church and they just want bigger budgets. And that's, that's what's motivating this conversation in the room and therefore I'm a little disappointed and highly frustrated uh, with my leaders. Or my leaders truly, truly, truly believe that, that this conversation is vital for my life, that, that there are blessings from God that I will never experience, that I will miss through the entirety of my life if I don't bring this part of my life under subjection and in obedience to what Christ has asked. That, true the conversation last week, that there's literally things that God is hoping and wanting to do in my life that I will never experience until this part of my life gets right. That, that my leaders ultimately believe, in, and with all their hearts, that if God is not Lord of all that I have, then He's not Lord at all in my life. And, and you'll, you'll land in one of those two camps, and you'll decide why we had this conversation and what motivated us and whether or not you want to heed or listen. Here's what I want to do this morning. I, I just want us to uh, kind of dive in. That's a little different than what we normally do, but I just want us to grab our Bibles real quick. Go to what I think is a highly intriguing passage of Scripture. It's a passage that very often I think you and I would read and go, What? I'm not sure what Jesus was trying to say there. I, I don't know that I get the conversation. And yet, uh, if you and I uh, unpack this, I think it has incredible uh, potential for you and I today. So grab your Bibles. Go with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and if you're not aware or don't know where that is, it's new to you. Go to the back of your Bible, work to the left. You're going to find this book of Matthew. It's the beginning of what we call the Gospels. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 22. Matthew 6, verse 22. Here here it is. A little bit odd, but we'll we'll, we'll dig it up. Here we go. Jesus is talking. Here's here's the conversation He has with those around Him. He says, the eye is the lamp of your body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness?" Now, now here, here's, the th- here, here's what he's… it's actually a very simple principle. It's not necessarily even that profound. He's just simply saying this, look, look, if, if, if you can see things clearly, in other words, if in your eyes you're seeing as if there's full light, someone's turned on the light, and you can see everything in front of you, and you understand the moment, you get it. And, and, and Jesus would probably say it this way, if you could see this the way God sees it, if you could see it, in full light, from a heavenly perspective, your decisions would be vastly different than if you were navigating that same moment from an earthly perspective, if you were, if you were living this moment in what Jesus called the dark. Because when you do this in the dark, you're going to end up doing this just like your neighbors do it. You're going you're to do it the way your parents always did it. You're going to do it the way you've always done it. If you… And here's the deal. You will stumble, stumble. You will run into things that you have no idea what you're running into. Your progress will be… You're in trouble if, if everything that you're receiving, the way you're thinking about life, is all filtered through lack of understanding, if you're filtering it through darkness. Jesus would say, if you're doing this from an earthly perspective, you're living in the dark. A couple weeks ago, uh, we were getting ready uh, for bed, and uh, just before we got ready for bed, my wife decided at the last possible moment she uh, needed to uh, head to the restroom. Now, here's the deal, if… if uh, if you know my wife at all, my wife has never done anything half-hearted in her life. She, I mean, she, she just go and she moves full speed at all the time when she's on the go. And, and so, here's the deal. We were getting ready for bed. All the lights are turned off. She decides the last moment. She hops up out of bed, beelines for the bathroom. And all of a sudden, I hear, boom, I mean, thunderous, boom. And I know immediately what's happened. Uh, she's gone. and She's r- running through the dark, and she has run face first into the wall. I leap out of bed. I turn on the lights. I go running over to Lisa, and I go, "Is the wall okay?" <laughs> it, it was interesting. We we, we got done it. And, and here's what Lisa. She goes, "I don't. I don't get it. I've lived in. I mean, we've been had this same bedroom six years. I know how many steps it is from the last bedpost to get around. How in the world did I do? I mean, how?" Do, and I go, "Lisa, you were in the dark." And that's what happens when you navigate life from the dark. You'll, you'll think you're on the right track. You'll go, this is the right decision. This is the best place to go. And you're going to just face plant in your life. That's simply all Jesus is saying in this moment. Let me see if, if, if… maybe this will help unpack it a little bit. 1936. The United States is in the middle of what would then become known as the Great Depression. And and as if it wasn't bad enough for all the rest of the country, uh, there was a pocket in the Midwest in Oklahoma that was also going through the Dust Bowl And what had happened is, is that farmers from the East had moved to the Midwest, they had brought with themselves the farming practices they had used on the East Coast, now they're doing it on the plains and it doesn't work. And and in, in the process of using those farming techniques, they disturbed all the topsoil, they've had no way to hold it back in place, and now the winds of Oklahoma begin to blow through and all the topsoil is being picked up and blown away. And every single year they were planting their crops, the winds would come, the topsoil would blow, the rains had dried up and stopped in the middle of the Great Depression. Now it's 1936. And at 1936, uh, the farmers began to run out of seed. And so now they face a crisis moment within their lives which simply says, look, here's the deal. Uh, If we go ahead and plant our fields again this year, knowing that the winds could come, knowing that the rains may not we've really got no guarantee that we get a crop. And the problem is we're so low on our seed stock and, and on the grain that we have that to plant the fields, you realize that's, that's, a, that's an all-or-nothing decision because we won't have that grain to eat then. So we're going to take this grain, we're going to put it in the ground, and in essence, at that moment, it's lost to us unless the crop comes in. But what it immediately means is this, that we're going to have to figure out how to go into survival mode until the harvest. So, we we already know the meals are going to be smaller, we're going to go hungry for the next few months, praying that the harvest shows up. And if it doesn't, then we're cooked. There was another group of farmers living in that same moment and said, well, (laughs) we're just, no, Uh, we're going to take what seed we've got left and… we're just going to dole it out. We're going to figure out how many you need for me and how many more meals we've got, and we're just going to live as well as we can, as long as we can, and then we'll do whatever we need to do. And this became the great dilemma for farmers in Oklahoma in the Dust Bowl in 1936. And, and both sides said, you, you, you get it. I mean, this is just such a hard decision. I mean, this is… The, I mean… What, how do you do that? How do you decide, okay, we're going to stick it in the ground, and it hasn't worked the last six years, and, and we're going to hope for the best, and we're all going to go hungry in the meantime, or, hey, we're all going to eat okay until what we have? I mean, that's, that's a hard call. You know, which way do you go? you get that's not a hard call. It really isn't, because you realize that one of those decisions is doomed right from the beginning. That if you simply decide to be an eat-it-now farmer, and you say, look, I'm just going to take what I have, I'm not going to plant anything for the future, I'm not going to plant for a harvest, I'm going to simply take what I have, and when I get to the bottom of the bag that I have, then I'm done. If you're an eat-it-now farmer, there is no prospect for the future. I mean, there's not even a chance that that scenario turns out okay. If you're an eat-it-now farmer, your only hope, and I get that, you know, for them it felt like a long shot, and I get in that moment that they thought, wow, you know, we're going to… this is going to be sacrifice and… but your only shot is a harvest. Your only shot is to start to live for the hope that there's a future on your farm, because if you eat it now, then there is… there's a definitive ending. Here's the interesting part. In 1936, the farmers who ate their grain became what was then known as the Okies. And what they didn't realize is they were only halfway through the Great Depression, and they spent the next seven years literally living as hobos and migrant workers. They lost their farms because they were Eat It Now farmers. And the farmers who planted had a harvest that year, and their farms were saved. You get that… that it, it, it's not a hard call because there's only one side of the scenario that has any future to it. That's all Jesus is saying in this passage. just saying, look, 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 look. If you're not careful and if you begin to process life and you begin to have conversations and all you're, all you're dealing with are darkness, if you, don't see the, if you don't see the moment for exactly what the moment is, if you don't understand exactly what's at hand… You'll, you'll think that bad decisions are reasonable in your life. You'll, you'll make really, really dumb things look like good ideas. But if you would simply see this from God's perspective, if you would turn the light on, so to speak, Jesus was see in your life, you realize it, it, you won't bump into anything. It, it, the answer from here to there will get crystal clear. Now, here's the interesting part. When you and I hear Jesus have this conversation about light and dark and, 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 and if you could see it and understand, I think you and I then immediately go, well, okay, so Jesus is getting ready to teach a moral lesson. He's going to teach about sleeping with your boyfriend or he's going to teach about lying or, you know, something, you know, this is going to be a light and a dark. You know what's interesting about this conversation that Jesus says, look, if you could simply see this from the way God sees it, your answers would be really, really easy. You know what the conversation is? Money. Money. And He simply says to you and me, look, 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 if you do this the way your friends do it, if you do this the way you've always done it, if you do this the way you're… If you do this from an earthly perspective, this is going to look like a really, really, really hard decision. And you're going to make your decisions in the dark, and you're going to run into walls, and you're going to make mistakes with your money that are absolutely unnecessary in your life. But if you would begin to change, if you would let me turn on the lights, and if you would begin to see this from a godly… Do you know that your way from here would be crystal clear? This would be such an easy decision, and you would never be an eat-it-now farmer if you knew what I had to say about this. So let's go back in Matthew chapter 6. Let's go to the couple verses ahead of this conversation. Matthew chapter 6. Let's start in verse 19 this time. Here we go. Here's what it says: Do not, do not, do not. It's almost as if Jesus begs, says, "Look, look, look! Whatever you do, don't do this. I mean, don't, don't go here. Don't step across this line. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Just don't do it." Jesus says. But instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy and where thieves can never break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there is your heart also. And then, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, if you could see this the way God sees us, this would be simple. This would be obvious how to go from here to there. You'd plant the crop. Your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light within you is darkness, how great is this? How confusing will this be if you continue to see this in a dark room? So here's the question. What would God say? What would God say about our money today to turn on the lights? What would it mean for you and I to flip the switch and say, okay, God, I, God, as we have the conversation, I just simply want to understand my money from your perspective, from a God perspective, and not so much from my human, darker perspective. Could you turn on the lights so I can see this the way you see it? Here's, here's the first thing I think God would say he say, look, here's, here's the deal. Every, every one of us gets paid every month. You do that. Every, every, it, we all we all get some of this into our hands. And once you and I receive this, you and I are going to make a decision about where this goes. And some of it goes to our mortgage, some of it goes to our cable bill, some goes to our phone, you know, whatever that is, car payment. You and I are going to make decisions about where this gets doled out to. Here's what God would say. You may think you have a whole bunch of different places that you spend this. And God just say, you don't. The reality is, you've only got two pots to choose from. There's only two places this can end up. One, one of those places is earthly. It, it's, it, you're going to leverage this to buy things that belong to this world. So, whether that's your mortgage or whether that's a cable bill, you realize, I mean, those are things that you're going to leverage this into that belong only here to this earth. And here's what God would say. You need to know that when you do that… Look. There we go. When you do, you might as well be burning it, because here's here's the reality about anything that you and I leverage into this earth. That once we spend it on earthly things, it it's gone. It's gone. I mean, think about the, you. You have to have the premium cell phone with all the unlimited, unlimiteds, and and you pay some horrendous bill. But you get you get, when that month is over, that month is over, and whatever you spend, I mean, that's gone. Forever, forever. It's gone. I mean, you might might as well. How many people are freaking out right now? Perfectly good. Fake money. Fake money. But you know, here's the cool part. You know what? I love that it freaked you out. It ought to freak you out. You know why? Because, because, you ready? Every single dollar that you and I spend on something earthly, it's burned. It's, it will never last. It will never make it. You'll never take It's burned. And then God said, whoa, 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 there's another pot. You and I have the opportunity every time this comes in our hands to leverage some of it into eternity. And God says, hey, look, here's the difference. The moment you do that, the moment you take some of it from what could have been earthly and you put it here, you realize that all of a sudden this becomes eternal. This, this, this suddenly becomes something that lasts forever forever. And here, here's the crazy part, we talked about this a little bit last week, is that God not only says, hey, not only was this eternal and not only does this all of a sudden count, but God turned around and said, look, and here's the deal, when you do that, then I'm going to choose to bless you and bless it on top of that. So, so what, what you did, and it may have in that moment even been kind of small, but I'm going to take this and make this ridiculously more. Here's the part I think is totally crazy, guys, I mean, think, follow this with me for a second. I can't believe how many Christians out there are what I call name it, claim it Christians who go, look, look, look I'm going to give to God and I'm going I'm to give to this pot over here on, on the deal and I am hoping that God will bless me in this pot. Are you crazy? You want God to bless you in the burn it up pot? That's the dumbest, are you kidding me? So I'm just going to tell you, guys, when, when you and I give to eternal, the smartest thing you can do is say, hey, God, look, 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 I don't I don't want to draw any of that out right now. I, 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 let's, just, let's just call that the retirement plan, and when I get to heaven, then let's cash in on the interest, okay? Because I, 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 don't, I, I don't want any of your blessing to go in the burn-it-up pot, but here's, here's the part, guys. This is where you and I take what was put in our hands, and instead of burning through it, you and I leverage it for eternity. Now, here's here's what you get here. I'm I'm okay. I get it. I get that we've all got mortgages. I get that we all have carpet. I get it. But what you and I've got to decide is how much am I willing to burn up? And if I was really, really smart, how much would I leverage to eternity? Hey, guys. I get it. I you, you get that we do church around here a little bit different than a lot of churches. We do, we do friend days and and we, we give away dinners if you come to the marriage. So you, you, we, you're right. We we do that, right? You know why we do that? Because every time you and I do that, we are leveraging into the eternal pot. That when we have friend days in this room and guys, it costs to do we have people come in this room and people who would have never gone to church and suddenly they figure out Jesus sitting in those purple chairs. And when that happens, all of a sudden eternity is changed. Guys, I'm just going to tell you, that's more important to me than the water bill. You… Okay, three of us like that. All right. Guys… Do you know that family after family after family that you and I handed dinners to in the marriage series, we got to hear the story that said, we, we were on the verge of divorce and coming to this place was literally the last resort. Guys, every time we, and you're right, you're right, we do church a little different, but you want to know what? I'd rather be at a church that was leveraging everything they could into changing lives and not taking every penny they get and putting it into the heating bill. Because I, I want to change. I don't know, but I, I want to change eternity. I, I want this to matter for more than we just sat in a warm building. Jesus would say, if you were seeing this from God's perspective, you would realize… You get the choice to burn. You get the choice to change eternity. Second thing God would say if if you were seeing this right, he'd say, guys, 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 you realize this earth isn't home. I'm going to say this again because I… If you're a Christian, this isn't home. You and, I are, you and I are going to spend a measly 80 years here if we're lucky. And then we go and spend eternity in heaven. Okay? So here's here. here. I, I took everything I had and I burned it in the 80 years and I put nothing into heaven. See, if, if you and I get this, if you and I catch it, guys... There is nothing you buy here that gets to go with you there. Why wouldn't you send some on ahead? You get that all of your reward, all of your blessing is going to be whatever you were able to rob from that pot and place in this one. See, if you're a farmer who really believes in the harvest… you'd sacrifice whatever you had to do to make sure you planted your fields. I've said this, kind of used this illustration before. Let me imagine. Imagine your company comes to you, the place where you work, and they say to you, look, we just landed a huge government contract. We're going to be part of the rebuilding Iraq thing. And uh, it's hard to get people to go over there, so here's what we're doing. We're paying triple salary for anybody that will go over there for 12 months. So you think about it for a little while, and you think, what, how many opportunities in my life am I going to get to earn triple salary? And so you go back to them and you say, look, I, 12 months, you know, I, it's going to be rough because I have to miss my family, and just, but this seems like a, an opportunity I just can't pass up. Okay, I'll go to Iraq. I'll, I'll do the 12-month stint, triple salary. You fly over, you get there, you land. They take you to orientation class. And as you're sitting there, they talk about, you know, here's the type of clothes you can wear while you're here, and, and here's the hours you can leave the corporate compound, and, you know, all the things you need to know while you're there in Iraq. And then they close by saying this. Here's something, I, you know, I don't know if you guys cut on or got this or not, but here's the deal. Uh, anything you buy in Iraq stays in Iraq. See, it's Iraqi law that you can't export anything. So if you buy a couch, the couch stays in Iraq. If you buy a TV... The TV, if you buy a car, the car stays in Iraq. But here's what you can do you can take any of your salary and you can send it on home ahead of you. But anything you buy in Iraq stays in Iraq. So let me ask a question How many of you are buying big screen TVs in Iraq? See, I mean, if that's the rule, if that's how the game is played, I'm buying the little black and white aluminum foil antenna. I mean, that's how I'm spending my 12 months. How how many of you are buying a Mercedes Benz in Iraq? Are you kidding me? I mean, that'd be stupid. I'm buying a donkey (laughs) in Iraq, Okay. Because I, I, here's the deal: if if nothing I buy in Iraq can leave Iraq, and I but what I send home gets to go home, I'm I'm not spending anything in Iraq. Oh my goodness! No wonder. No wonder Jesus said, "Look, look! If the lights were turned on, if you could see this from God's perspective, if you knew this isn't home, and that nothing you buy here." gets to go home with you. You and I'd stop feeding the earthly pot. You, you and I would never consider being eat-it-all-now Christians. We'd be planting. No wonder, no wonder Jesus comes to this moment and says, look, 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 if you understood money, if you understood this conversation the way God sees it… Lights would come on in your life and you would behave completely different than the people who handle their money in the dark. So here's the question. What, what, what goes in this pot? I mean, what, what does it mean to invest my money in what's eternal? So We already told you, things burn up. Things don't make it. But guess, guess what makes it from this world to the next? One thing. People. People. And when you and I invest in eternity, when you and I invest to change the lives of people, all of a sudden, you and I invest in the eternal. And guys, you, you guys should get this. That we have people all through this. We have scores of people in this room. And you came because there was a mailer. And your life is completely different because… There was a church that invested in eternity. There, there, are, there are people in this room, and, and you came to a men's ministry or a women's ministry, or, or you came because we had a friend day, and your life is different. You were far from God. But you're changed today because there was people who leveraged into eternity on your behalf. Matter of fact, here's what I want to do. I I just wanted to bring up a couple people, a couple of us, and just have this discussion about when you and I invest in the eternal, how it begins to change the now for eternity. So here we go. One, two, one, two. Is this is it on? Yes. Okay. All right. All right. So here's what I'm going to do. I, I'm just going to go through. I, I want to talk about people who were far from God and far from here and how your and my investment has absolutely changed eternity. Okay. Okay. So no home. You were with abusive parents. Matter of fact, Zippy, your story is you actually ended up tortured before it was all said and done. What changed your life?
0: Um, Cornerstone helped her home, my children's home in Kenya, and through Cornerstone, I mean, by Cornerstone providing for her, my home was able to provide for me, and um, got me sponsored, and I'm here.
1: Hmm. Very cool. <clears throat> hmm. In 2009, you're divorcing. I mean, it's, it's done, and you're angry, and, and you felt betrayed. God intervened. What happened?
0: Well, we came by the church, and I ran into someone who invited us to Friend Day, and when we came, my husband got plugged into the men's ministry. They came hmm. along beside our side, and kids got involved with the children's ministry, and that's where it took off.
1: Hmm. Very cool. You're, you're living an impure life, okay? Uh, you're just out there kind of doing what everybody else in the world does. God got your attention. Yeah,
0: I was um, chasing a girl to... Camber and <laughs> I, um, I end up getting involved in a small group there, and hmm. I found Christ.
1: Very, very cool. Okay, so you're going along, you're being single, you're saying, hey, this is it, maybe this is the rest of my life, I'm content, if that's what God's going to do, God did something different. I was blessed to be part of the leadership team that brought the Rhythms um, singles ministry here to Cornerstone, and through the community that developed through there, um, I was able to meet um, my now future husband. We were married in May. Very cool. <clears throat> You're struggling through infidelity in your life. Uh, your house has been closed, foreclosed on. You're dealing with bankruptcy. Something happened. Uh, We came to uh, CS Men's and through Man Church, and man camp. I met a lot of men that uh, taught me how to be a great husband, a great father, and a great steward. Hmm. Very cool. (laughs) So you're going through life, and you're just kind of living with a void, and you were trying to fill it with work, and you're thinking, hey, maybe this is just what everybody does through life. Something changed.
0: Yeah, I got plugged into working women, hmm. and that community of women helped me move from busyness to purposefulness.
1: Wow. Very cool. Okay, so your marriage is out of control. Okay, could you, like, describe it? No, I won't make you describe it out of control, but your marriage is it, it's, it's spiraling. God intervenes. Um, well, I was literally just leading a, life, a marriage with, with no boundaries whatsoever, and I was failing my wife, I was mm-hmm. failing my family. And uh, my wife kicked me out, and mm. the next day was a Thursday morning. I showed up to Manchurch, and I was able to meet guys that were going through the same issues that, mm. that I had gone through. And uh, now I, leave, I lead a uh, God-driven marriage and a God-driven family. Wow, very cool. <clears throat> you're dealing with addiction. <laughs> you're lost. You know you're apart from God. You're feeling broken and empty. Something changed. Um, started straying away from my faith in high school and college years and uh, just got to a complete place of brokenness and uh, stumbled into Camber and um, community just wrapped their arms around me Mm -hmm. and and literally changed my life Wow, very cool (laughs) So you're doing life by yourself and you're totally alone and lonely and then something happened
0: well, I was just, I've been a single mom for about five years, and I was praying for a ministry um, to be to be in community with other single moms and to uh, walk with Christ. And uh, within a couple weeks of, of that desire, I received a phone call from Cornerstone inviting me to join this ministry. And I've been there ever since and walking with Christ and other amazing and inspirational
1: women of God. Wow, very cool. So, here's, here, here's the part that's got to that's click, and this has got to make sense. I, I invest here, and it burns up. I invest here, and eternity changes for people. People's lives are forever, forever different because you and I… Said, I will not be an eat it all Christian. I, I'm gonna plant for a harvest. You, you wanna hear what ought to break our hearts? We don't do all these ministries anymore. You, you realize <laughs> we stopped doing friend days. We mail a quarter of the mailers that we used to mail. We don't advertise in movie theaters anymore. We had one big series this year to invite our friends to. We shut down singles ministry two years ago when money first started getting tight. And where we are financially right now, and what 2012 looks like, and we're not going to finish Haruma. I don't know that you and I are going to have a college ministry in 2012, or a men's ministry, or a women's ministry. And you, and you get that real quickly, real rapidly. As a church, we, we are we are moving toward an eat it all now community, and we are leveraging less and less and less into eternity. And here's the part that here's the part that I'd, because these stories are a hundred times in this room. If, if we asked you to stay, you'd go, no, I, it was coming to men's ministry. It was that mailer that grabbed my family. It was, it was that marriage series that forever changed us. And we are rapidly becoming an eat-it-all-now church. You, you guys can. Yeah. So here's what I'm going to do. I remember, we were talking about seeing this from a, from a different perspective, seeing this, seeing this the way God would see it. So here's what I'm going to do. I want, I want to create for you and me an eye chart, okay? And so I'm just going to ask you to help, help me do this. Look, I don't, I don't know where the givers sit in this room. I, I, I don't know that. So we're just going to do this for purposes of illustration so that you and I get it, okay? All right, so I'm guessing, I'm guessing that most of us in this room, if we were talking about the welfare system, would say, look, this is is something that's fundamentally broken. Because I think all of us would say, look, if there's a family in real need and real distress, by all means, help that family, help that family. But what what we struggle with, I think, is those who would abuse the system, those who would say, look, I'm never gonna work, I'm not gonna look for a job, I'm just gonna live off of everybody else, I'm gonna mooch my way through. And most of us would say, most of us would say, That willingness to mooch on, I mean, that is broken. Matter of fact, some of us would even say, and I'm pretty mad about it. Anybody? Okay, a couple Republicans in the room. All right, all right. So just to give you perspective, okay, just to give you perspective. Okay, everybody sitting on the end, the first two, right here, go ahead and stand up. If you're one of the first two sitting on the end, go ahead and stand up. hey, okay, you two stand up. Percentage of Americans on welfare. And you and I sit in the room and go, look, that's wrong. That's wrong that you would take advantage of all of us, that, that we're carrying our weight and you're living off of our effort. And matter of fact, many of us would say, you know what, if we don't get that fixed, this has the potential to financially cause chaos within the American system. And, and I, want, I want that done. I want that repaired as soon as possible. OK? Go ahead and sit down. Anybody know what percentage of the church ties? Six percent. Okay, so, I'm right here, okay? Everybody on this side, stand up. That's the percentage of the church that ties. Matter of fact, if we were going to do this the right way, you ready? You sit down. Everybody else, stand up. Because, you ready? Here's the answer. Because all of us are living off them. All of us are content to let them pay the bills, to let them invest into eternity, to let them change the lives, and you and I are content to take the ride because we're the eat-it-now Christians. And I'm just going to suggest they have every right to be frustrated with you and me. They have every right to say, you don't get it, and the church can't survive this way. And if you and I aren't careful, we will close down ministries and close down ministries. And that will dry up at Cornerstone. Go ahead and sit down. What would Jesus say? I mean, given this conversation, given this moment, given the things we're saying, honestly, what would Jesus say? You, you already know the answer. Do not, do not, do not, do not. Do, do not spend your life buying things that burn up. Don't do it. What, whatever you have to do, whatever grain you have to take out of that bag, whatever sacrifice you need, leverage something, something into eternal Do you get that every one of us that sits in this room sits here because somebody was not an eat it now Christian and leveraged into eternity so that your life could be changed in this room? Every one of us owes whatever God has done in here and whatever has happened to my spiritual development and if I've just… Every one of you owes that to a planted Christian. when you and I were starting this church, when, when there were not thousands and thousands, when, when we were just saying, look, we're gonna go to this community called Chandler, Arizona, and uh, we just wanna put a church there that would be powerful and would touch people's lives. We had to go out and fundraise, which I'm just gonna tell you guys is horrible. I hate the conversation. And so I had to go literally to hundreds of people and say, look, there's nobody in this church we're gonna start yet. So we can't even take an offering. So we're going to ask you to support us for three years in hopes that we can build a church. Would you support us every single month? And, and I'll, you, know, you start a list and you go down the list and you, and, you, and, and you think, and we had people on our list that had gobs of money, gobs of money. And we thought, okay, there's, there's how it's going to happen. Those people with gobs of money, they're just going to write us a check. It's all going to be done. Did you know that rich people are really selfish? See, all of us are sitting in this room and we're going, "Oh, you know what? if I had more, I'd give no, you would not." If it terrifies for you to give the tithe, if it terrifies you to give God one dollar when you only have 10, you will not even consider God giving God a thousand when you have 10,000. It gets harder the more you have. Ask any rich person if they tithe. And so we'd sit down and I'd say to these people, look, you could change this. You could you could do this. You could you could write me a check and, and this and they'd go, you know what, Lynn, we're there. Man, we are so behind you. We're gonna support you ten bucks a month. You know who the number one giver to cornerstone was when there was no cornerstone? Orally, England. Orally, England was a lady whose husband had taken off on her and abandoned her with her, ready? Seven children. She raised those seven children by her house. You know how she made it? You know how she earned her living? By taking in elderly people who needed nursing care. So in her 1,500-square-foot house, she had seven people, convalescent, in their hospital beds, and she's taking care of them. She is wiping things, that you and I don't want to wipe. She is cleaning up things that you and I don't ever want to have to clean up. That's how orally England is making her money. And if there was ever a person who you could say, look, look, Lynn, I, I, I don't have enough. I mean, I, are you kidding me? I mean, I know I've got this, but I mean, it takes all this just to do this. And I mean, I, there's, some, I, you know, maybe if I had more, I could. But orally England gave $200 a month so that you could be here, because Orally England was not an Edith, now Christian. She believed with all of her heart that anything she could leverage here mattered for eternity. And you are in the room because of Orally England. Time to pay it forward. It's time for you and I to go look. I get it. I get it. I get it. I, I get. I get that either Orley England is the craziest lady in the world, or she may be one of the smartest. And and if and if if if, if just a portion, if a small portion of this crowd would step up and say, I, "I'm the next Orley," I get. Count me in. I I, I see it differently now get this? Okay, the people that were standing, stand. You ready for this? rest of the section, stand. If simply that much more of the room moved, so all the rest of us continue to move. all the rest of us say, no, 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 I'm going to be an it now Christian. If just that much more of the room moved… We'd finish Aruma. <laughs> We'd reopen our singles ministry. Men's would go forward. Women's would go. Not only that, you ready for this? Ministries right now that we have to say, look, we don't have a place for you. you don't have a room. You got to cancel. Your, you can't do. It. We'd have room. Everything would change if that many of us moved. You guys can sit down. So you and I end up in an incredible moment. <laughs> Are there any orally Englands in the room who say, look, I, I get it, and, and I, I'm not, I'm not going to burn it all up here. I'm going to send some of it forward. I'm going to begin to, I don't care if it causes sacrifice, and I don't care if it means I'm going to leverage into eternity. Here's the deal. We gave you a card today. I'm not going to ask you to fill out the card today. Whew. Okay. Um, I gave you a card today. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home and pray. Because here's where we're, here's where we're at right now. Let's just be honest and open. Our giving right now is trending down so far. We, we, we are moving so rapidly toward a eat it all now Christian mentality in our church. We don't even know how to build next year's budget. And so we're just going to ask you, would you go home and would you meet with your spouse? Would you simply pray? And then we're going to ask you, would you come back next week? Would you put down this card? This is what my plan is to give every month for 2012. Now, here's the deal. Nobody's going to write you a letter. Nobody's going to call you if it doesn't happen. None of that. We just need to even know how to build a budget. We need to know if we're closing down ministries next year. And and this is to help us know where we're at. Okay, And I'm just going to simply ask you to come back, put it in so that we have some sort of a sense. But here's what I am going to ask. I'm going to ask that you pray about being orally, and that, and that you say, I think it's my turn to stop living off the rest and letting them… Care. I think it's my turn to invest in eternity. And some of us in this room, a significant portion of us in, need to move to the tithe. It's your turn to be early. But for the rest of us, and I get it, and I guess some may say, look, I, I, I'm not going to do that. I'm not prepared to go there. I, I don't know. That's okay. I still want you just to fill out the card and just tell us what you're planning to do in 2012. Here's why. Here's how the majority of us give. We come in on a Sunday morning. The sermon gets over. We go, oh, okay, the offering plate's coming, and we pull out our wallet, and, gee, it was a pretty good sermon, but I've only got a five today. I'll, I'll make up for it next time. And, and there really is absolutely no thoughtfulness on our part as to how much of my income I'm gonna leverage into eternity. We simply just drop in whatever's left. And so I'm gonna ask us to change that all the way through this room and just say, look, I, it may not be the tithe yet, it isn't, but I, here's my plan. This is what I intend and plan. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna automatically withdraw it or however you're gonna I'm gonna make sure that this much gets leveraged into eternity in 2012 for me and come back next week ready to do that together. Let's pray. Here's what I was going to ask with heads bowed and eyes closed. What would happen in this church if even half of us became orally, if, if, if half of us just said, look, I, I, think, I think God just turned on the lights and I'm burning up everything that touches my hand, I am absolutely an eat-it-now Christian and I am leveraging nothing into eternity, or if I am, it's so small. I'm going to be the next orally. You realize if, if we did that, Eternity. We would change Chandler. We would change Chandler for God. I'm just going to ask every Christian in this room to be intentional about what they do in 2012. To make a conscious decision that says, this is, what, this is how much of whatever I have in my hands in 2012, I'm going to leverage into eternal, and God can count on that. And just say, God, what, what, what am I supposed to put on that card when that card comes next week? Dear Lord Jesus, if, if we understood our finances through Your eyes, it'd be like the lights coming on in the room. We, we would make completely different decisions about our dollars if we could see our dollars the way you do. God, help help a people who are only visiting this place not to waste all our money in this place. Help us, help us to send some home. Help us to leverage into the kingdom, and to change lives. And if there was ever a church that ought to get this, Cornerstone ought to get this. We are the lives that were changed. We are the ones who were touched by eternity because of the oralees. God, may, may you just change our culture in this conversation, may you change how we think in the midst of this discussion. May we stop being eat it all now Christians. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Rush is